When we think about Memorial Day and, and specifically those who've given their lives, um, those people, they, they truly did respond to the challenge. And uh, today, that's actually the, the title of my sermon, is Responding to the Challenge. And uh, as we're singing Waymaker, uh, you know, we have all these names for Jesus, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, and I, I want to add one name this morning, and that's Hard Teacher. Hard Teacher. He taught us hard things. And so today, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 6, John chapter 6, and we're going to be, be at the end of the chapter, and so if you want to turn there, and really, I, I want to I lay out for us kind of everything that's happened in John 6 before that, because it'll give us a, a greater understanding. It'll be vital for us to understand the interchange that happens between Jesus' and disciples at the end of John 6. So at the beginning of John 6, uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with uh, just two fish and, and five loaves of bread. And they spread amongst the people, and everyone actually eats till they had their fill. And then the disciples still collect 12 leftover uh, baskets full of fish and bread. So it was a miracle. Uh, and then the next day, he, he takes a stroll across the, the Sea of Galilee and finds his disciples in the middle of a storm, and uh, he gets in the boat, calms the storm, and they get across to the other side. Now, the next day, the, the crowd that Jesus fed, uh, they, they were looking for him. They couldn't find him. Where did he go? And so they, they get in their boats, and they go to the town of Capernaum. And that's, uh, Jesus, Jesus grew up in Capernaum, and they find him there. Uh, but Jesus, he calls them out, because they weren't coming to him to understand the sign he had just performed, or even to see him perform another sign. Uh, they just wanted more food. And so from here, Jesus launches into his teaching on the bread of life. And this is a long section where Jesus gives progressively harder and harder teachings and makes bolder and bolder claims about who he is. So first he says that he has food that will lead to eternal life. And then when the crowd brings up the manna that Israel had eaten in the wilderness, uh, you know, over a thousand years before, uh, J- Jesus says uh, it actually wasn't Moses that provided the bread. But it was my Father in heaven who actually gives true bread that gives life. And so, okay, and, and it gets even better when they say, Sir, give us this bread, always. Jesus replies, I am the bread of life. And anyone who eats of this bread that I give will live forever. And then finally, to cap it all off, he says something even more outrageous. He says, Eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? You know, the, the, the people listening is, had to be shocked. Now, obviously, Jesus wasn't saying for them all to get in the line and start munching on his biceps, but rather he was using these as metaphors for believing and trusting in him. And so then the response that we see at the beginning of our passage comes immediately after Jesus finishes this bread of life discourse. And it's important to note that these were many of his disciples. So Jesus had more than what we think of just typically the 12, but he had a a big crowd of disciples following him. And I love what they say right after Jesus says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Their response is this. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Or who can hear it? 
And the Greek word used here for hard can be used in a figurative sense to describe someone who won't budge or is unyieldingly harsh. So for example, in Matthew 25, you have the parable of the talents where uh, there's this landowner. He's going off, and so he gives three of his servants uh, money. Now, two of the servants, they take the money and they make a profit that they can give back to the master when he returns. But the third servant, uh, he chose to bury his money in the ground so that when the master came home, he just gave him back what he'd been given. And this was his reasoning. This is what the servant said. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and hid your money in the ground. So the servant saw his master as hard or unyieldingly harsh. So here in our passage, Jesus' disciples use the same word to describe Jesus' teaching. And they were right. Jesus' teaching was hard. But he would not budge then, nor does he budge now. And I find it very interesting that the more that that crowd asked questions, Jesus didn't make the teaching easier to understand or accept. He actually did the opposite. He made his teaching harder to accept because he was actually weeding out those who weren't following for the right reasons. And this brings us to our passage and really the central point that I want to hit on today, which is this, that Jesus' teachings demand a response. Due to the bold nature of his teachings and claims, Every person must make a decision about Jesus. And the, the question is, how can we respond to his teachings? What, what are our options? So we'll see in John 6, verses 66 through 69, that there are really only two responses to the teachings of Jesus. We must either reject or accept his teachings. Those are the options laid out in the passage. So let's read verses 66 through 69, and see how these two responses play out. After this, after this hard teaching, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are the Holy One of God. So we see this first response, uh, rejection in verse 66. The teaching was too hard to accept, so his disciples rejected it. it wasn't, and it wasn't just some of them. It says many. So this was, this was a mass exodus. Jesus knew that many had impure or misinformed motives for wanting to follow him. And actually, after he fed the 5,000, it says that he withdrew to the mountainside because he knew that they were going to come and try to force him to be their king, their physical king. Now, he, he was a king, just not the kind of king that they thought he was. So in order to test the hearts of his followers, he presented them with an extremely difficult teaching to accept, to see if they were truly following him for his purposes or their own. And the response of many was telling of their lack of understanding of who Jesus really was and what he came to do. 
Now, this wasn't just an issue during Jesus' day. and We see it today, especially amongst our young people. The statistics concerning the number of high school students leaving the church after they graduate high school is staggering. Some studies, they either say from 70 to 80% of students who grew up going to church when they graduate high school, they leave it behind. That's three out of four. And there's several different reasons for this, but regardless of the reasons, this forces us to ask the question, why? Why are the vast majority of our Christian students leaving their faith behind after high school? And you know what I think the biggest reason is? It's easy. It's easy to leave behind the hard teachings of Jesus. It's easy to sleep in on Sunday morning. It's easy to lower our moral standards. It's easy to lower the moral standards that God has given us. It's easy to blend in with the crowd and not go against the grain. It's easier to leave Jesus than to follow him. That's why people left him back then, and that's why people leave him now. And verse 66 gives us two descriptions of how these disciples rejected Jesus. First, they turned back. So this implies that there was an initial turn towards him and that they were going the same direction as Jesus at one point. They were there when he fed the 5,000. They even followed him around the Sea of Galilee in their boats. And their commitment to him seemed undeniable. With how much time they spent hanging around with him, people would just assume that they were committed to him no matter what. And although their initial zeal and apparent commitment were observable, this verb turned back tells us the real story of the commitment of their heart. When these many disciples turned back, it was an intentional act that showed their initial faith or interest in Jesus was not genuine. He didn't meet their expectations. They were expecting a physical king, another sign or miracle, or or at least some food, But this was a decisive abandonment of Jesus because it was easier to turn back than to accept his difficult teaching and pressing ahead with him. And Jesus didn't go chasing them down, promising to lower the bar and make it easier if they would just come back. He intentionally brought them to a fork in the road that would expose the true conditions of their heart. And he does no less with us. The other description given is of the rejection of Jesus was that they no longer walked with him. And it's no coincidence that John uses this word, walked. Throughout the biblical story, we see this theme of walking used as a way to describe the path of life one was on. For example, in Genesis 5, where you have this genealogy, Enoch, who never died but was taken up to heaven, is described as walking with God. Then in Genesis 6, you have Noah, The only righteous man left on earth was said to walk with God. In the prophet Malachi, Levi is said to have walked with God. Throughout 1 and 2 Kings, it says that the kings either walked as the good or bad kings that preceded them did. And then in Ephesians 2, it says that before Christ we walked in the ways of this world. But now that we are made alive with him and in him, 
we can walk in the good works that God has prepared in advance for us. So clearly, this theme of walking with or without God is seen throughout the Bible. And John highlights this theme right here when he says they no longer walk with him. And when I think about walking with someone, it's, it's an intimate thing to do. So I'll put it this way. I've never just gone on a walk with a stranger. If I go on a walk with someone, I know them, or, and, and I know them well. For example, Danielle and I, we love to go on walks in our neighborhood. And one of the things that I notice is that most of the time when we go for a walk, we don't say, okay, we're going to go here or this distance and then come back. Because the purpose of the walk is not to get somewhere, but the purpose of the walk is the relational interaction encounter you get with that person you're walking with. So for Danielle and I, you know, we get to talk to each other, connect, connect on emotional level. And here's the thing. Even if we don't talk, just being in the presence of the other person is enough. Just walking with that person is an intimate, intimate act. And it builds the relationship. So these disciples who walked away were leaving behind the very one they hoped and longed for. And though they did walk with him initially and it appeared that they were connected to him, their ultimate rejection of him showed that they hadn't understood who he was or what he was teaching. So this was and is still one response to Jesus' hard teaching. Reject it. And although this is the easier option, the alternative is far better. And if I've learned anything over this last year, it's that the right thing to do is usually the harder thing to do. The right thing to do is usually the harder thing to do, and the harder thing to do is to accept Jesus' hard teachings. So, after Jesus gets rejected by many of his disciples, he then turns to the twelve and asks a piercing question. You don't want to go away also, do you? And Peter's response is astounding. It blows my mind what he says here. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the perfect response. And after being challenged with this hard teaching about who Jesus is and what's required to follow him, Peter accepts Jesus for three reasons. First, he knows that there's no one or nowhere else to go to. To whom shall we go? Regardless of the difficult, unyielding teaching that Jesus presents, Peter acknowledges that any other route that they choose is a dead end. It's a dead end. Now this is essential to understand. Hear me on this. We're all going to face times when turning around and no longer walking with Jesus seems like the better option. Going to someone or something else is appealing, but I have news for you. It has never worked for any of the other tens of billions of people who've existed in human history and you aren't going to be the first exception. You aren't going to be the first exception. 
But in our current cultural context, there are several options that many of these young people who are walking away from Christianity are choosing. To whom do they go? Well, one option, one popular option is atheism. Whether it's because they've had something painful happen in their life or are mad at God or they don't want God to exist so they can do whatever they want or they have genuine doubts about whether Christianity is true. Whatever the reason, the belief that there is no God is a popular choice. The physical world is all that exists and everything that's here is just a product of the laws of physics. However, as many atheist philosophers have realized that if there's no God, then everything is meaningless. Moral outrage towards things that we know are wrong, like murder, abuse, or racism, is no different than a hunger pang in your stomach if there is no God. Surely, that can't be the right option. Others, however, opt for what's called New Age spirituality. This allows one to be spiritual without being religious. So they don't want to go as far as becoming atheists, but they want to throw off the chains of religious institutions, rituals, and traditions. So this option says that you don't need these things because the answer is within you. You just need to look to yourself and the divine within to find peace. Here's the issue with this option. You can't find the solution within you because your biggest problem is within you. Your heart. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If each of us is our biggest problem, then the answer must be outside of ourselves. So this option won't do either. And the third option that's becoming more and more popular is what's called progressive Christianity. And this is very appealing because unlike atheism, you can keep God, and unlike New Ageism, you can keep religion. And also the label has two great sounding words. Progress is a good thing, right? We want to be moving forward and making progress. And Christian, I'm a Christian, so count me in. And put these two together, and progressive Christian sounds extremely positive. So you, you know how this whole time we've been talking about Jesus giving hard teachings? Well, here comes a hard teaching. Christian means little Christ. Little Christs follow Jesus and his teachings regardless of how hard it is. If you deny Jesus and his teachings, I think it's fair to say that you aren't following him. So here are some things that progressive Christianity denies. The divine inspiration of scripture, the inerrancy of scripture, the virgin birth of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, biblical sexual ethics, the necessity of Jesus' atoning death on the cross for sin, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, and the reality of hell, just to name a few. It would be one thing if these were peripheral issues that don't affect the gospel message. But each of these is a central Christian doctrine. So if we aren't following Jesus on the main things, then we aren't following Jesus, period. Therefore, progressive Christianity, and I'm going to say it, is neither progressive nor Christian. And it's actually a weird blend of atheism and new ageism. 
And to prove my point, over the past couple years, I've been doing a lot of study in apologetics, defending the Christian faith, all right? So I've watched debates between the top Christian apologists and philosophers in the world and the top atheistic philosophers and scientists in the world. And a couple weeks ago, I watched a debate between a progressive Christian and, for lack of a better term, conservative Christian. And you know what I noticed? This, was, this blew my mind. The progressive Christian was using the exact same arguments that atheists use. The exact same arguments. In other words, to prove his form of Christianity, he used atheism. So I don't think I need to explain how contradictory that is. So, so this option won't either. So those are some of the options we're given. All these modern options are dead ends. And this is why I love Peter's question. To whom shall we go? He knew that this wasn't easy, but there was literally no other option. What were all those other disciples who were no longer walking with Jesus going back to? Judaism? The law? Peter knew that he and the other 11 were too far in now. There was no going back. Jesus was the answer, which leads to the second reason Peter accepted Jesus. He said, you have the words of eternal life. Now, the word used here to refer to the words spoken, or refer to the spoken words of Jesus. And again, Peter accepts that Jesus' teaching are hard, and at the same time, they're the very words that he and everyone else needs for life. He knew that just because things are hard to hear doesn't mean they're false. What Jesus said is actually the very thing that brings life. And this same word is used just a couple verses earlier in verse 63. Jesus said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So again, Peter's just acknowledging what Jesus has already said and accepted it as true. When Jesus teaches hard things, he isn't doing so just to be a hard teacher. Instead, he actually cares about each and every one of you and wants you to have eternal life. And Peter saw this at least to some degree. And that's why he knew that there was nowhere else to go. There weren't any better options. These weren't just some good teachings by some great moral teacher that made Peter a better person. There was no other option. Instead, these were the words that give life to the soul so that spiritually you never have to hunger again. And this is because Jesus, as he explicitly claimed, is God. So the God who created and sustains the world knows how things are to operate in his universe And by coming in the historical person of Jesus of Nazareth, he showed the way that would lead to eternal life. And eternal life is something that we all long for, whether we know it or not. Uh, We all want to live on forever. And we can see this in different ways today in our society. Uh, Everyone, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people, they want to make a name for themselves. They want celebrity status so that their names can live on even after they die. 
And also, we can see this with our culture's obsession with dieting and exercise. If we can get the perfect combination of food and fitness, then we'll be live as long as possible. Or the right combination of vitamins and medication will keep us alive as long as possible. I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Diet, exercise, medicine all have their place, and we ought to take each seriously and be responsible with them. So I'm not saying to just get rid of that. But the point stands. Another interesting way is many are desperate to keep the wrinkles in their skin at bay. Uh, Anti-wrinkle cream is the solution. Actually, just the other day, I learned that, and this is a good tip for everyone, you're not supposed to, if you're drying your face, you're not supposed to, to rub it, but you're supposed to pat it. Because you rub it, you'll stretch out your skin and get more wrinkles earlier in life or later in life. So that's a tip. But again, it goes to show you that we're, we're, we're trying to keep the signs of age at bay. And if we can do that, then we keep our greatest fear off of our mind. Death. However, none of these things I just mentioned have ever brought anyone eternal life. And now they're trying to figure out how to download people's minds on a computer so that their minds can live on after they die. But in the same way, Peter looked at his other options knew that Jesus was the way to eternal life, which leads to the third reason he accepted Jesus' hard teachings. He told Jesus, we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And this is a powerful confession and proclamation by Peter. And typically when we come across this word believe, we think of it just kind of a mental thumbs up that we believe in Jesus. But however, it's more than that. When, when Peter says we've believed, he's saying we have trusted. Belief in something is an act of trust. And Peter and the others might not have completely understood what Jesus was saying, in fact, they definitely didn't. But they were willing to take that step of trust, trusting that he did have the words of eternal life. And the reason they could trust him in this way is because they had come to know on an experiential level that he was the Holy One of God. And there are plenty of people, probably even in this room, who know what Jesus said and who he claimed to be. And they have the information in their heads, but it's not led to transformation of the heart. And this is what we saw with those many disciples who rejected Jesus and his teaching. It takes an experience of the knowledge of who Jesus is moving from the head to the heart, and this is a relational experience where we encounter Jesus, and God's Spirit, who gives life, opens our spiritual eyes to see Jesus as he is, namely the Holy One of God. So when Peter says, you are the Holy One of God, the way it's worded, he's putting emphasis on you. He's saying, you, Jesus, no one else, you are the Holy One who is from God. So just like when Peter declared Jesus was the Messiah, in the same way, realizing that Jesus was from God was something that God himself revealed to Peter. And one commentator says this about Peter's declaration about Jesus. The phrase, the Holy One of God, is applied to Christ in one other story in the Gospels by a demoniac. The apostle applied to him in love the title that demons applied to him in fear. 
Peter's confession was a courageous act for it committed him and the disciples to one whose popularity was waning and whose words they understood only with difficulty. It revealed the devoted heart of Peter as nothing else in the narrative did. So these three reasons given by Peter for not walking away from Jesus, from Jesus were strong. There was no one else to go to. Jesus had the words of eternal life. And he had come to trust and know on an experiential level that Jesus was the Holy One of God. He had no choice but to accept Jesus and his teachings, no matter how hard it was. So we've seen now from these verses in John 6 that Jesus' teachings demand a response. And there are only two available options, to reject them or accept them. There's no middle ground. There's no fence-sitting. He didn't leave that option open to us. Graduates, to whom shall you go? As we look at the world around us, it takes great offense at what Jesus taught. His message is not popular. Following him is hard. Will you be among the 70 to 80% becoming just another statistic? Many in your stage of life are walking away from him for some of these other options that seem more appealing. And they are the easier options, but I urge you to listen to Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. All the alternatives to Jesus are dead ends. If you want to follow him, you're going to have to walk with him against the cultural tides. You will be rejected, called names, and may even lose relationships. This will make you unpopular. But I have good news. Jesus didn't call you to be popular. He said, follow me. So you follow him. He is the Holy One of God, the bread of life, who has the words of eternal life. So, Jesus now turns to you and asks, you don't want to leave also, do you? He awaits your response. Choose today what it will be. Jesus, these are hard words. But they're true words, Lord. May we receive them into the depths of our souls. Where else are we going to go? Lord, I pray for your blessing over these graduates that as they, they go from here into this world, whether to school or to work, even if they stay in Lexington, Lord, may they stay committed to you. 
May they accept what you've said, Lord. And I pray for their families as well, that you would give them strength as they continue to care for and love and disciple and encourage their graduates. That you would bless them, Lord, and that we as this church would support them in this. That we, we are a family. That's the beauty of the church, Lord. And each one of us needs the church. And the church needs each one of us because we all have spiritual gifts that you've given us to build up the body of Christ. So Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts in such a way that they are so deeply in love with you that any other option is a no-brainer. That's, I'm following you, Jesus. No matter where you take me. We love you, Lord. We're gonna pray for your blessing over them. In Jesus' name, amen.